Well, good morning. That looks pretty good, doesn't it? Better not be out there on the lake next Sunday morning. <laughs> My name's Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free Church. So good to be with you today. I do want to reiterate uh, happy graduation to the high school graduates. Graduation weekend for them, and so grateful for them. We have some amazing high school seniors in this church and we celebrate them today and look forward to what God is going to do in them and through them in the years to come. Uh, graduation weekends are so great last weekend and this one and perhaps the next one as well because we eat lots and lots of graduation cake, don't we? Mm, oh yeah, double servings for me. It's been a fun weekend and uh, uh, thank you again Paul, for joining us. Maybe you, you are here just today for uh, someone's graduation or you're a newcomer here and uh, whatever reason, though, that you chose to come to church today, we welcome you and we appreciate you joining us. We're starting this new uh, summer series, a market up series, as has been noted, in the book of Galatians, well, which is from the Apostle Paul. And if you were to summarize the point of Galatians in a single word, it would be freedom. Freedom. Getting off the hook, as we just heard. Think of a fish getting on the hook and us getting off the hook, freedom. And so I'm looking forward to this study as we go through it over these next, I think, 12 weeks. We'll be in Galatians, thought by thought, paragraph by paragraph. I encourage you to bring your Bible as we go through it. I'm going to start here, though, this morning with a little story. I was uh, thinking about being lured onto a hook back when I was in high school my family and I took a trip out to visit aunties and uncles in New Jersey, where my mom's family is from. And after visiting them, we spent a day or two in New York City, went to a few of the sites there in New York, and we went to a place called Battery Park. And Battery Park is in downtown Manhattan, in which you look up and you see the Twin Towers back then when I went there. Now you'd see Freedom Tower far from Battery Park. And then you look around, you see all these beautiful sculptures all, all over the place and amazing, gorgeous trees. And then you catch the, the ferry to go out to the Statue of Liberty. It's really a great, great spot. And while we were waiting around in Battery Park well, with my family, uh, a number of different salesmen came up to me hawking their various goods. Can you imagine it? And uh, this guy opens up his jacket and he's got Rolexes for a very good price. And then the next guy opens up, I'm not interested in that because I already have a watch. Next guy opens up his jacket and he has Oakleys. And I want a pair of Oakleys. I'm 15 years old and I really need a nice new pair of glasses. So I go and tell my dad, dad, do you realize this guy over here is selling these brand new Oakleys for 10 bucks? He say, Adrian, those aren't Oakleys. And I said, yeah, they are, dad. Yeah, they are. They, they even have the Oakley logo, and they look like the real thing. Those are Oakleys. Hey, those aren't Oakleys. Yeah, they are, Dad, and I'm going to spend my 10 bucks on a new pair of glasses. I just want you to know, you might want to get a pair, too. He says, go ahead if you want to. Go ahead if you want to. And so I go over there, and I get my new pair of Oakleys, and I'm quickly disappointed. And it struck me as I thought, thought about this story this past week that most of the time, when we get duped, the stakes are pretty low, aren't they? Like, like we've all had that kind of a story at one point a time or another where you got duped into buying something that really wasn't what you thought it was. 
And most of the time, anyone else? Come on. Anyone else been duped? Most of the time we get duped, the stakes are really low such that our mom or dad or whoever else says, go ahead, suit yourself, have a natural consequence. And so I got my natural consequence, and the stakes were low. But the Apostle Paul is writing his letter to the Galatians in the letter that we get into this morning because the stakes are really high. As he writes to this cluster of churches in what would today be modern-day Turkey, back then was the province of Galatia. It's a group of a number of different churches. He's writing to them because the stakes are really, really high. And they've started to embrace something less than the true message of Jesus Christ. And so he's going to write this really challenging, inspiring, rich, and at times thought-provoking, difficult-to-understand letter for that ancient church, those collections of churches in modern-day Turkey, and for us today as well. Really, to understand the letter to the Galatians, you have to understand a little bit of the Apostle Paul's past. And you might know already, though, that he was like a Pharisee. That means he was a religious leader, a a Jew who was a um, religious teacher who kept all the rules. And he was really into the Old Testament laws, all of them. He practiced them, and not only did he practice all the 613 Old Testament laws, but he was really careful to be sure that everyone else did also. He was kind of a legalist in that way. And Paul came out of that background where he was super intense about all these Old Testament laws when he saw the resurrected Christ. And when he got this vision of the resurrected Christ in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, when he saw love embodied in Jesus, the scales literally came down from his eyes. And metaphorically, the scales came down from his eyes. And he began to embrace, began to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ's freedom for the very first time. And he's concerned to write this letter to the churches in Galatia because they are no longer embracing the pure gospel of freedom. Rather, they are embracing something plus a bunch of extras and minus the spiritual power. Let me say that again. A gospel plus a bunch of extras and minus the spiritual power. And I find that to be incredibly relevant for us today because we're living in a time in our culture in which there is some form of religion, in which people practice some religion and they do church from time to time, minus the power, minus the passion. Have you seen that? And there's another group of people that observe that from folks in the church and they say, really? That's what you want, to be, that's what you want me to be a part of? No thanks. Like, there's nothing attractive to that. I don't see anything that's worth giving my life to in that. You can invite me to be a part of that? No thanks. You could be in either of those crowds today. I'm so thankful at this church. We have many, many people who come in each and every week 
who are asking questions about spiritual things, and they're not sure what to believe. And I pray that you would always feel welcome if you're in that spot here today, in the auditorium or in the venue, that you always feel welcome here. Because this is a place to ask our spiritual questions. That is a place to journey together. You might be in that spot right now. Or for others of us here today, we, we uh, are committed Christians and we're excited to get into the book of Galatians because it's a challenging and at times difficult to understand letter of the Bible. And we've asked the question before, what about all those Old Testament laws? What do I do with all of those? How do we live those out today? Do they apply to us today? Galatians is going to hit on that. And what does freedom in Christ actually look like? How could I grow in that? And if those are questions that you're interested in having answered, well, you've come to the right place. And let's open now together to this beautiful letter from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1. I want to invite you to bring your Bibles well with you this summer as we go through this Mark It Up series. This is something we do here from time to time. Actually, try to do it on an annual basis. We take a book of the Bible and we just mark it up while we go through it. We seek to really study it and understand it a little bit better. And if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, you want one, we have them out there for you as a gift at the Information Center. It's a free gift to you. If you like to mark it up in your phone or on your iPad or whatever, that's fine too, as long as you have some system to be able to hold on to that and go back to your notes such that we really learn. I prefer paper and ink, and so I'm going to mark it up as I go through Galatians, and I encourage you to do that with me as we take in this great letter this summer. Are you there? Have you turned there? Yes. All right. Here we go. Galatians 1, we're going to read just the first nine verses today. Galatians 1, verses 1 through 9. Follow with me. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him up from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice this. Paul's going to reserve some really, really challenging words in the letter to the Galatians. He's going to reserve really challenging words again and again, even harsh rebukes for this church and for the leaders in this church. But he begins with this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the Apostle Paul. He wants grace and peace with people who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. Hear the harsh words. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, even within your church. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, and so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Would you pray with me? 
Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for the time that we have to gather together and worship you in freedom here. I praise you for every person here in the auditorium and every person in the venue. And we ask, God, though, that you would teach us this morning even from your scriptures. God, we all have things on our minds right now. We all have places that we have to get to next. And yet right now, I would ask that you would give us a focus on these nine verses and on where we're going though this summer in the letter to the Galatians and that you personally would teach us. Father, some of us are uh, trapped and we don't feel like we have freedom in Christ. And if you're in that crowd here today, I want you to know the letter to the Galatians is for you today. And others of us today just feel like we have no passion, we have no power in the gospel. And perhaps we've been embracing part of it, but not the whole thing. And, and I want you to know that the letter to the Galatians is for you today. And others of us today just need a good word of, of encouragement. And so, Father, we pray that you would give that to us today as well, a good word of encouragement from the core message of Christ. And so for all of us, Lord, we choose right now to listen to you. Not me. I'm nothing much. We choose to listen to you. And we ask that your words would guide us and teach us even today. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, here this morning, I want to just give one really simple key idea and then give kind of a guide for our summer reading and our summer study together through the book of Galatians. To get at the key idea, I'd like you to look at verse 6 and 7 again in your Bible, and I'll put it up here on the screen, and I'll show you how I sometimes mark up my Bible as I go. Paul says this in verses 6 and 7, I am astonished. I cannot believe. It's amazing to me. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Now, if I was marking up my Bible, I would notice the intensity of Paul's words here, that he says, this is a big deal. You Galatians are being duped and the stakes are, are really, really high, he's saying to them. And you are so quickly deserting the one who did it all for you, as we talked about these last four weeks, when empty means full, the one who gave himself up for you on the cross, and then he rose again from the grave, and because he's Lord, we choose to follow him, and you believe that, but you Galatians, why has this happened? You're deserting the one who has called you to live in the grace of Christ, not by rules, but by the grace of Christ, and now all of a sudden you are turning to a different gospel. And Paul is just shocked by this, that they would be turning to a different gospel after experiencing that Christ has given it all up for us. How could we possibly do anything else but give it all up for him? Right? But tragically, that's what's begun happening in this church. I think the key idea, though, that Paul really wants to get across here in Galatians 1, 1 through 9, is this. And it sets the tone for the book as a whole. Any addition or subtraction to the gospel actually makes it no gospel at all. When we add to the true message of Christ, 
or we subtract from the true message of Christ. We actually distort it and we render it less than the real gospel. It makes it no gospel at all. And Paul takes pains, he takes so many efforts throughout this letter and many, many others to reinforce the true gospel because of that. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I put certain messages on repeat. Anyone else? Parents, you know what I'm saying? Right? There's certain messages that you give to your kids and you rewind them again and then you play them. And you rewind them again and then you play them again, Right? Okay, that's what Paul does with his message of the gospel. Again and again, he talks about the gospel because it's like, it's the thing. It's it. It's the message. It's not one message amongst many. It's the message. And so he talks about it again and again and again. And I talk about it again and again and again. And I hope you don't get tired of hearing it because it's the message. It all begins there, and it all comes back to that on a day-in and day-out basis. So I want to do is just give you this gospel definition that I've shared on a number of occasions over the past few weeks, give it to you again here at the start of Galatians, and encourage you on this. Maybe you would take this gospel definition, and you would paste it into the front of your Bible. Or maybe you would write it in your own words, and you would commit it to memory yourself, because this is the message that you want to put on repeat for your kids or for your neighbors or with your life group or at the workplace that you would be able to have it at the ready. Let's all say this together, both here and in the venue. Would you read it out loud with me? The gospel is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which freely pardons sinners and exclaims, you are welcome into God's love and, yeah, you're welcome. You are welcome into God's love and presence because of his free gift of forgiveness to you and me. He pardons us. He freely forgives us. And he says, you are now welcome into my love, into my presence. You're now welcome into my family. Live out of that. Live from that. Don't live for God's acceptance. Live from God's acceptance that comes out of the cross and Easter week. And come back to Easter week all the time. Okay? You look at this picture up on the screen of the cross and the empty tomb, and it's just a description of that 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel that we've talked about so much that we live out of that. It's not just something that we believe at the beginning and then we kind of move on from that. It's something that we live from day in and day out, and we always come back to that. We live from Easter week. Isn't that right? We live out of that on a day-in and day-out basis. Now, I have to ask, what would be an addition or a subtraction to the gospel, since I noted that as my key idea for this morning? I think a subtraction for the gospel would be something like this. I believe in Jesus as my Savior. He forgives me of my sins, and now I'm going to go do what I want to do. That's a subtraction to the gospel. I got my fire insurance in place. And now I'm going to go live the way I want to live. I got my traditions. And I got Jesus who forgave me. And now I'm going to go live my traditions. And I'm going to think of certain people in an ugly way. I'm going to think of other kinds of people in an ugly way. I'm going to do what I want to do because I really am still on the throne of my life. 
I see him as Savior, but I really don't see him as Lord. Okay? And sadly, many people are right there. I want to warn our church that if we would be there, that's not a real trust in what Jesus has done. It's a half a gospel. It's cheap grace. And if we would be those kinds of Christians, we might not actually be Christians. True warning. It requires both belief as Savior and as Lord, and then with that, the concomitant decision to obey him, to follow him in all that he says. Now, that's part of a problem that we'll address in Galatians as we go. Probably the bigger problem that we address in Galatians is the one that Paul deals with explicitly, well, with the church there, and it's that they are adding all these other rules on top of the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection. And again, these are these Jewish leaders that were called Judaizers, and they were telling these Christians in Galatia that it wasn't enough for them simply to trust themselves to Christ's life, death, and resurrection and freely be pardoned by him and live before him as master, they also had to do these other things. It was Christ plus a bunch of other stuff equals the true gospel. And so they said you also had to believe in all of these Jewish laws, such as circumcision and sacrifice laws and kosher requirements and sacrifice laws and all of these old Jewish laws they were saying to people in Galatia who were never Jews in the first place, this you must also do to really be a Christian. Now we don't say that today, do we? But we do at times in our culture say that there are some extra things that people have to do to really be a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't that long ago in our culture that people used to say, if you really want to be a Christian, then don't drink, don't dance, don't chew, don't go out with girls who do. Okay, we've talked about that. And, don't go to the movie, and you better not go to the movie theater either. Okay, that, that was another generation. That's kind of a relic of the past. We don't really say that kind of thing anymore the way maybe you were exposed to when you were growing up in the church. If you grew up in the church, I didn't grow up in the church, so I wasn't exposed to any of that, but I understand some of you have that baggage. I don't have that baggage. Now, today we say other things, such as, yeah, it's Christ, it's the gospel, it's the resurrection, it's the cross, but also, like, do you have these certain religious experiences? Like, do you speak in tongues? Or have you had a vision of the Lord? Or do you really raise your hands like Adrian does in a really ecstatic manner? Come on, I've seen you rolling your eyes at me, okay? Like these, like these extras, you can worship however you want to worship. Just worship. Give it all to God. But there's no extras, that, there's no extra experiences. Or, yeah, um, I believe, but also, you believe, but also, do you, do you have the right political convictions? You, you have to have the right politics then you can be sure you're a Christian. Or I, I believe, um, and you believe, but you also have to be sure to avoid certain kinds of people. Don't spend any time with certain kinds of people. You, you know what I'm talking about? Anyone? Okay, and so what happens when people start to embrace these Christ plus something else equals the gospel is this, 
a fog starts to come over the cross and the empty tomb. A mist starts to come over the cross and the empty tomb such that people can't actually see the cross and the empty tomb and the true gospel for for what it is. What they see instead is these additions, these extras. And a subtraction to the supremacy and the utter sufficiency of Christ for everything. Anybody hearing me today? Okay, this is something that as your pastor, I want to warn you about. Out of love, I want to warn you. There's a danger in our midst. I, uh, to be totally honest, when my family and I moved here almost four years ago, I had no idea that there was still something called cultural Christianity in America. I just didn't know. I lived almost all my life in the Denver, Boulder area of Colorado. And my wife is from Eugene, Oregon. And my family is from California and New Jersey. They met together in Denver. And um, I'd spent some time in the American South, so I got a little bit of a sniff while I was in Mobile, Mobile, Alabama, of cultural Christianity there. But I thought, you know, maybe... That had gone by the wayside too. That was back in 2001. I didn't know before moving here that there was such a thing as cultural Christianity. Let me explain what I mean. When you're in a place like Boulder, Colorado, the only way that you know if someone is a Christian is if they're willing to stand up and stand out. And they're willing to be different than the crowd. And they're willing to be committed. And they're willing to be a spiritual minority no matter where they go. Because there are no social benefits to being a part of the church. And very few people go to the church. There are no social benefits to be part of it. And so you quickly learn who are people that are really Christians and who are not. Well, that has some downsides for sure with the culture in terms of a degradation of morality But there's also some positives to that. Part of the positive to that is you actually know when someone is really a Christian. In a place like the Midwest and in many areas of the American South, people just blend in with the crowd. Because there are still these cultural and social benefits in the Midwest and in the American South to going to church. It looks good on the resume to some degree. That's not the way it is on the coast. That's not the way it is in Boulder, Colorado. Now, I'm not saying it's good or bad or otherwise, but what I am saying is this. If you think that you can just kind of blend in and play church, you're missing out on the true gospel. You're missing out on the gospel of freedom, and you might be on the hook. Seriously. That is a danger, though, that we have to be aware of. That there are subtractions to the gospel that I can just kind of believe in Jesus as my Savior, but have no real intention to actually acknowledge Him and follow Him as Lord. 
Or there are these additions to the gospel that I, yes, I, I believe in Jesus as Savior, but also people have to do this, and people have to do that, and people have to do that, and I'm expect everyone else to do that, just like Paul was doing before he became a Christian, but before he became a follower of Christ. And Paul gets really riled up in Galatians, here in this passage, because of these subtractions and these additions to the gospel. I fear, personally, any Christ plus something makes you a Christian. And I resist that. Instead, we always live from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live out of that and we say, because I've been accepted by Jesus, I want to live for Jesus. I want to do everything that he says. And that becomes the greatest motivator for us. Listen to how Paul gets riled up about this in verses 8 and 9. He says this two different times. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Even if we were to preach a gospel, even, Paul, Paul's saying this, even if you might circle in your Bible, here's Paul saying, even if I, maybe you write in your Bible, even if I, wow, even if I preach the gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ with additions or subtractions, then let me be under God's curse. That's exactly what Paul is saying. And he would say to me, Adrian, you better not do that. Mothers, you better not do that. Fathers, you better not do that. Sunday school teachers, you better not do that. It can't be any subtraction or addition. It's got to be the raw, beautiful, freedom-loving, freedom-giving, hope-inspiring, love-pulsating gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we need. Christ plus nothing else equals everything that we need. I pray that you believe this today. And we're going to dive deep into it over these coming weeks. Now let me take a quick right turn, if you would, with me. And just give a little bit of a guide for our summer reading together. As we go through the book of Galatians. Was I, well, was I clear enough in the first nine verses? Okay. Uh, now we're going to give you a little bit of a guide for our summer reading. What you need to do as you study the, this summer, as you get into this Market Up series, I want to give you four ideas for how you can get the very most possible out of your summer reading. Four simple principles. Number one, as you read, remind yourself every time that you open your Bible, every time that you listen to the Bible, that it is a gift from God. Each and every time you open your Bible, each and every time you listen to the Bible on you version or whatever else it might be, remind yourself, pause and sit and open your hands and say, thank you, God. Remind myself that this is a gift from God. One of the biggest problems that I see today is an absence of reflection on what the Bible is and an acceptance of what the Bible is, allowing it to be the foundation for our lives. I want to encourage you to recall each and every time you open the Bible that God is choosing out of love to communicate with people because he loves you so much he has chosen to, to disclose much of his will for your life in these very pages. He did not have to, he chooses to because he loves you. 2 Timothy 3 puts it this way, 2 Timothy 3 verses 14 through 17. 
But as for you, Timothy, my young apprentice in the ministry, my young mentee, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those whom those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Timothy, remember Lois, your grandmother. Timothy, remember Eunice, your mother, and how they taught you the scriptures again and again and again. From, infa from infancy, Timothy, you were taught by your mother and your grandmother. Your father, Timothy, he didn't believe. But your mother and your grandmother, they believed and they taught you from infancy. They gave you the greatest gift that any parent could ever give to their kids, a saturation in the scriptures. Remember what your parents taught you. Remember what your grandmother taught you and hold on to that because it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Remember, all scripture is God-breathed, Timothy, and it's useful. This is the Bible on the Bible. Listen, folks. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, it teaches us how to live and it tells us off. It does both things really well, doesn't it? The Bible teaches us how to live, and the Bible at times tells us off. And thank you, God, that it does, but also trains us in righteousness. It comforts us and it guides us, trains us in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's all of us, we are the servants of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God brings to us. Keep me humble. Keep me humble. As I open up your word and learn from it, may I receive it as a gift. I want to encourage you, though, this summer that uh, on the back of your outline each and every week, we'll have a little area that just says for next week. And keep reading through the New Testament, one chapter at a time, as we've been doing here in 2019. Keep doing that, and by the end of 2019, you will have read the New Testament. You will have read all of it if you read through it one chapter per day, about five days a week across 2019. Then as well... Read the next section of scripture for next week. It's Galatians 1, 10 through 24 in advance of this message and mark up your Bible. Meditate on key ideas, key words, cross-reference to other passages. Study it ahead of time and I promise you will get so much more from the message. You might even come up and correct me. Well, when I say something wrong, that'd be okay because we are learning together in community. You know, I really like a lot of other Bible teachers and I listen to them regularly. I really like Tony Evans in Dallas. I, I really like Beth Moore. I, I, I really like uh, Tim Keller. I really like C.S. Lewis. But none of them wrote this. None of them wrote this. So always got to come back and give thanks for this and use this as my starting point. Second, I want to encourage you this summer to remove yourself in order to hear the author more clearly. Do whatever you can as you're reading the scriptures. And this is just a general principle. This is kind of 101 of what you would call biblical interpretation. We remove ourself and our presuppositions so that we can understand the scripture and understand the author's original intent for us without the blinders that we all regularly put on and what we believe the Bible is trying to tell us before we even read it. Remove yourself as much as you possibly can so that you can read what the author intended. I love the way conservative New Testament scholar Dr. Scott McKnight puts it. He says, it comes as a surprise to some Americans that the Bible was not written by a Republican. 
And it comes as a surprise to other sorts of Americans that the Bible was not written by a Democrat. We're not picking on anyone. The Bible was not written by a socialist or by a capitalist. It's ancient. It's ancient. And they didn't know anything about any of that stuff. The Bible came before all of those systems. Say that out loud with me. The Bible came before all of those systems. Now that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't speak to some of those systems. I believe it does. But I need to take off my Adrian glasses and allow Paul to be Paul and allow Jesus to be Jesus and allow Peter to be Peter and allow them to confront my presuppositions in which I humbly come before the Lord and say, word of God, speak even to me. And if you need to correct me, go ahead. If you need to rebuke me, by all means, go ahead. The Bible was written by a minority population, the Jews, to a minority population, the Jews, with implications later on for the majority population, Gentiles, that's us. And so we do well to kind of move out of the way as much as we can with our various cultural baggages, and we all have them, and say, Jesus, just be Jesus. Word of God, speak, and get me out of the way. Third, read the Bible with others. And as you read the Bible with others, also cross-reference to other places in the Bible. That's part of the way you read the Bible with others as well. Most Bibles have this little column in the middle or else some text down at the bottom that gives you verses that correspond to individual verses such that when you come to a verse in Galatians chapter 4, for example, about Hagar and Sarah and you get really confused, you can go to the cross-references in the book of Genesis and then learn more about those passages. Moreover, we can learn with others in our life groups and in our families. Did you know that the Bible was around for over a thousand years before almost anyone ever wrote it individually? Did you know that? Before, did I say wrote or read? What did I say? Wrote. I didn't mean wrote. I meant read. That didn't make any sense. Let me say it again. The Bible was around for a thousand years, over a thousand years, before anyone really read the Bible individually. I mean, there were a very, very few number of people. There were rabbis, there were elite professors, but paper and ink was so expensive. They didn't have version. Uh, they didn't have these cell phones to take the Bible with them well, wherever they go. They didn't have uh, a copy of their own Bible themselves. In many cases, churches didn't have their own Bibles. There would be a Bible for a community or portions of scrolls for an entire community. And only the elite of people had literacy to be able to read it. And so how did people get the Bible? Because they still did. They listened. They sat and they listened to copious amounts of the scriptures. I mean, they read it more than we read it. And yet they didn't have it. Because they sat and they listened to copious amounts of scriptures together. And the power of listening to the scriptures together with family or with life group, with people who are brand new Christians, with people who are old Christians, is this. Other people will see things that you don't see. 
Other, things, other people will notice beautiful insights from the scripture that you don't notice. I love reading the Bible with my boys, age 7 and 11, because they notice things about the Bible that I don't, that I, I don't notice. Over the past month, we read through the book of Acts. It's complex at times, but every night we'd read through a chapter in the book of Acts, and Elijah and Silas would notice things that I wasn't noticing in the scriptures, but because I've read through the book of Acts a hundred times. It's powerful to read together in community. I personally, as a pastor, I love it when people read their Bible on their own. But people who read the Bible only on their own tend to make a lot of mistakes. And so, when we get to odd passages, we go to other people and say, how do you read this? You get to odd passages, you go through cross-references, you listen to other Bible teachers take you through it, and then we are prone to make fewer mistakes. We read the Bible in community. And then finally, as you read the Bible though this summer, and I'll wrap up here as I know as I'm getting, getting a little bit long this morning, as you read the Bible together, you remember when you open up the Bible to thank God for his word, even if you don't get a warm fuzzy. You know what I mean? Like even if you don't have that Wonderful experience in reading the Bible. Like, wow, he, the, the scripture was so profound this morning that the hair stood up in the back of my neck. We, we, we've had those experiences. But sometimes we get addicted to those experiences, don't we? And so we expect that every time I read the Bible, I will get this fantastic, supernatural, emotional experience with God. And I'm telling you, people who read the Bible that way Quit reading the Bible. People who read the Bible with an expectation that every time they open up, they're going to feel something, they end up quit reading the Bible. Encourage you instead to open it up with a sense of thanksgiving. And as you open it up, you say, Word of God, form me, teach me, correct me, challenge me, encourage me. Just give me new information about biblical history. Even that is good. Just, just teach me, God. And slowly, day after day, over the course of years, we are formed by God's living and active word, which is able to cut through our soul and our spirit, our joints and our marrow, able to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And when it cuts, we say thank you, and when it comforts, we say thank you that the word of God spoke to us. Can you go there with me this summer? Let's do it together. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father in heaven, I am so, so grateful for your word. Uh, you, you didn't need to communicate with us, but you chose to communicate with us. You chose to give us the incarnate Jesus Christ who displays for us what God is like and then you chose to give us your written word which is reliable and is authoritative for all of life and is able to transform us for every spiritual and moral decision though that we need to make is able to give us life and godliness all that we need comes from you in your word and so father we ask that you would teach us this summer Help us to come back again and again to the basic gospel message that we are invited into God's love and into his presence, that we are freely pardoned by the grace of God, and that we would live out of that with a deep sense of abiding trust in you, that it wouldn't be enough for us simply to call you Savior, but we also would call you Master and Leader and King and Lord and all of that. 
And it wouldn't be sufficient for us to add some extra stuff on top of the gospel that ends up obscuring the cross. May it never be in this church, Lord. May we be gospel-centered people, Christ-centered people that look to you. Father, teach us. There's going to be something in this series for each and every one of us. Maybe there's something in today's message for us today. And we invite your conviction. We invite your conviction. Lord, would you lead us over the course of the summer that we would learn more about this difficult book of Galatians and that we would collectively gain a deeper understanding of the beautiful freedom that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has paid it all. We'll be careful, God, to give you all the glory, give you all the credit. To Jesus be all glory, both now and forevermore, God's people say, amen.